Welcome back to part two of the second greatest story ever told. If you missed part one, be sure to listen to that podcast first so all of this story makes sense. Now, on to the final part of the second greatest story ever told. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to this Theory to Action podcast and to this Catholic Corner, special Catholic Corner where we try to take our faith and pull it out of the corner, make it central to our lives. And like I said yesterday, we have a daunting task in front of us. That daunting task is to tell you about the second greatest story ever told. Yesterday, we completed part one, so be sure to check that out. And today, we are going to complete part two. So to give you a little recap of what we covered so far, We went all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, to tell you about the first greatest story ever told. And that was where man, tempted by the devil, let his trust in his creator die in his heart and abusing his freedom, disobeyed God's command. That is what Adam and Eve did in the very first sin of humankind. And all subsequent sin would be disobedience toward God and a lack of trust in his goodness. And the key word there is trust. Then we fast forward all the way through the Old Testament. We came to the New Testament where we have the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is another segment of the school of trust. Our God reaching out, providing the ways and the means to come back into his grace and to his mercy. Then we fast forwarded all the way to the 1800s under a persecuted Roman Catholic church in Europe and trying to confront all the suffering that was accompanied with that. Then we fast forwarded to World War One, and we talked briefly about Our Lady of Fatima of Portugal. And then we fast-forwarded to Sister Faustina of Poland, Sister Faustina, Maria Faustina Kowalska, and how she plays such an important part, most especially with her visions of our Lord coming to her and which she recorded in her diary. Her diary is the divine mercy of soul, divine mercy in my soul. Saint, now a saint, Maria Faustina Kowalska. So let's pick up the story where we left off yesterday. So here starts part two. Now, Sister Faustina would die in October of 1938 from what many believe was tuberculosis. And then less than a year later, less than a year after October 1938, 
is when the German Nazis invaded Poland in September of 1939. Sister Faustina had been warning of this. Let's go back to the book to understand this horror of the war. And again, just like yesterday, our book of the day is the second greatest story ever told. Now is the time of mercy by Father Michael Gately. It's hard to overstate the death, destruction, and devastation that World War II inflicted on Poland. Out of a pre-World War population of 35 million, 6 million of its citizens were killed in combat or in most cases murdered outright. That's an 18% casualty rate, the highest of any country during World War II. Poland had become home to many of the Nazi death camps during the Holocaust, the vast majority of whose victims were God's chosen people, the Jews. Needless to say, with so much unheard of violence and bloodshed, Satan was having a field day. During this time of hell on earth, a circulation of the pamphlets and prayer cards bearing the Divine Mercy image, the chaplet, the litany, and the novena gave comfort to countless numbers of brutalized Polish souls. That the message spread throughout Poland on the cusp of a war is largely thanks to the efforts of St. Faustina's spiritual director, Blessed Father Michael Sapico, who personally funded this apostolate of mercy. Now, to hear about how Father Sapaco and others spread the message of divine mercy to the whole world would take a good deal of time. So again, I would ask you to check out the book because it's a fascinating story just about how they did it during the war. It was It's just incredible. In fact, it's the second greatest story ever told, just part of it. Now... What's even more fascinating is during that time, a very young Carol Watiwa in his early 20s, under the persecution and occupation of the German Nazis during that time of Poland, would sometimes stop at the same convent chapel that Sister Faustina would have prayed at. Now, he would be on his way to and from the uh, Slove chemical factory where he worked from October 1941 to August of 1944. Sometimes he would even stop while carrying buckets of lime, which was part of his job description at the factory. Now, by 1941, the Divine Mercy image was gaining popularity throughout Poland. And the paths that were crossed is just hard to fathom from sister Faustina to a young Carol Watiwa to a blessed father Sapaco. Um, now keep in mind during this time that the young Carol Watiwa later, the John Paul II, he was clandestinely enrolled clandestinely enrolled in seminary studies. So every day you weren't sure if he would, survive to the next day. He wasn't sure if he would survive to the next day. You could look at a German officer the wrong way. You could say the wrong thing in response to a direct question, and you might be shot on sight. No questions asked. Now let's fast forward to October of 1978, when Carol Watio would be elected Pope, the first non-Italian Pope in over 455 years of the papacy and the first 
Polish pope, pope, the first Polish pope in history. Like I said, he would take the name John Paul II. Now, in June of 1979, less than one year later, John Paul II would go back to his home country of Poland. And for those nine days while he was in the country, that began the process by which communism in Poland and ultimately everywhere else in Europe would come to an end. Those nine days were the epic moment on which the history of the 20th century pivoted. And it pivoted in a more humane way. And we covered all this in detail in Catholic Corner number 10. So be sure to check that out. We will certainly put a link in the show notes to help you with that. Now, moving on to November of 1980, we pick up more of the story of the second greatest story ever told. It's in the second year of John Paul II's papacy. He has written his second, second encyclical letter, Dives in Misericordiae, Rich in Mercy. And what does John Paul II write of mercy? Let's go back to the book. And what is mercy? John Paul II defines it in Dives in Misericordiae as, quote, love's second name. As the specific manner in which love is revealed and affected in the face of, re- of the reality of evil that is in the world, affecting and besieging man. In other words, mercy is love when it meets poverty, weakness, brokenness, and sin. It's the power of love to bring good out of such evil. And because our time is marked by more suffering and sin than any other For this very reason, now is the time of mercy. Now is the time when mercy must be proclaimed more than ever before. This was John Paul II's belief and the insight at the core of his pastoral soul as he witnessed the unprecedented and growing darkness of our time. In fact, precisely because of the evils of the modern world, John Paul II saw the message of divine mercy as the special task that God had entrusted to him for our time. He said exactly this when he visited the Shrine of Merciful Love in Covalencia, Italy, on November 22, 1981. Right from the beginning of my ministry in St. Peter's See in Rome, I considered this message of divine mercy, my special task. Province had assigned it to me in the present situation of man, the church and the world. It could be said that precisely this situation assigned that message to me as my task before God. Now, according to papal biographer George Weigel, this encyclical, Dives in Misericordiae, Rich in mercy is the clearest expression of John Paul II's pastoral soul, which was deeply influenced by St. Faustina. The Pope himself said he felt spiritually very near to Faustina and had been thinking about her for a long time when he began writing it. Sister Faustina's message from our Lord about divine mercy was just not for Poland. It was for the whole world. The Holy Father proclaimed that with this incredible power. And to his delight, 
that message spread throughout the world. It spread so much that he proclaimed the year 2000 as the year of mercy. And then he ushered in a particular special moment of grace for the church on the 2000th year anniversary, the commemoration of the most important moment in the history of the world, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This time as a special time for the church entering the third millennium. That particular special grace that John Paul II had declared was that the first Sunday after Easter would be Divine Mercy Sunday, which just happened yesterday. In fact, on Divine Mercy Sunday of April 30th, 2000, through all of the work over the past 70 years since Sister Faustina's and John Paul II, all that work between both people, John Paul II rewarded Sister Faustina by making her Saint Faustina and the very first saint of the new millennium. Let's actually grab a quote from the Pope's homily that day. This mercy is addressed above all to those who, afflicted by a particularly harsh trial or crushed by the weight of sins they committed, have lost all confidence in life and are tempted to give in to despair. To them the gentle face of Christ is offered. Those rays from his heart touch them and shine upon them, warm them, show them the way and fill them with hope. How many souls have been consoled by the prayer of Jesus I trust in you, which Providence intimated through Sister Faustina. This simple act of abandonment to Jesus dispels the thickest clouds and lets a ray of light penetrate every life. Jesus, I trust in you. John Paul II then ended his homily with a moving prayer to this new saint who, for the third time, he calls a gift of God to our time. And you, Faustina, a gift of God to our time, a gift from the land of Poland to the whole church, obtain for us an awareness of the depth of divine mercy. Help us to have a living experience of it and to bear witness to it. Among our brothers and sisters, may your message of light and hope spread throughout the world. Today, fixing our gaze with you on the face of the risen Christ, let us make our own your prayer of trusting abandonment and say with firm hope, Christ Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Wow, such a powerful, powerful prayer. Now you might think, well, that is the end of the second greatest story ever told. But there's more. Incredibly, as John Paul II suffered in his last five years after giving this homily, many were drawn to his grief as he suffered. He had many ailments those last five years. This man who had given so much to his church, to his God, and to his people had been suffering for such a long time, barely able to walk, mainly confined to a wheelchair, struggling with Parkinson's, 
but how would this story end? Well, divine confirmation came on April 2nd, 2005, when John Paul II breathed his last. And wouldn't you know that the special grace that God had given him was this. On April 2nd was actually the day before Divine Mercy Sunday. And he was so close to passing on that day. But wait, before he passed, the sun was just going down and his longtime personal secretary, Archbishop Stanislaw Jeevich, had a sudden urgency to say Mass for the Pope. And as Jeevich began to set up Mass for Mass right there in the room, he realized that it was well after sundown so he could set up for the Vigil Mass for the Sunday to come the Sunday that would be tomorrow. And of course, that Sunday would be Divine Mercy Sunday. Let's actually grab our last pool quote. Zivic celebrated the Mass as the Pope was going in and out of consciousness. At the time of communion, John Paul II was able to receive the Eucharist, doing so through a droplet of the precious blood. Less than a half an hour later, after receiving the Lord, John Paul II went home to his eternal reward. As Pope Benedict XVI would later describe it, John Paul went to the Father in the arms of mercy. Wow. Just incredible. To breathe his last breath in on Divine Mercy Sunday is just incredible. Now, back in Divine Mercy, in the year 2000, uh, on that day in Divine Mercy, when John Paul II declared Sister Faustina a saint, he called that day the happiest day of his life. And actually, this is going to be our last quote. We are going to pull it from the book, as Father Michael Gately tells us. But maybe that statement was no longer accurate. That statement was, in the previous paragraph, John Paul II saying in the great Jubilee year 2000, the year of mercy, that the event of uh, declaring Sister Faustina a saint, for that to be the happiest day of John Paul II's life. So Father Gately says, baby, that statement was no longer accurate. I say this because I believe April 2nd, 2005 became the happiest day of all. I mean, John Paul II surely realized what was happening. And as he was slipping into eternity on that great day, he knew that God himself was confirming him in divine mercy, confirming his life as a witness to divine mercy, confirming him as a great prophet of mercy for our time. I can't imagine the inner joy John Paul must have felt as he received his last Eucharist at the very beginning of that great feast. In his heart of hearts, he must have been singing the canticle of Simeon. Lord, now let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a land, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people. Luke 2, 29-32 John Paul II truly could go in peace. 
he had passed on to the people of the new millennium the consoling message of hope for our time, the message of divine mercy. He had passed on not some new gospel, but rather the very heart of the gospel. A gospel which God is rich in mercy. In fact, so great a story that I too believe it's the second greatest story ever told. Now, I have left out tons of details. There is so much more I could have said, but there's more to the story. And you would have been right. It's hard to wrap your minds around all the moving parts and pieces to this second greatest story ever told. So I would urge you to get the book. There's also a one-hour audio CD. There's also a Divine Mercy movie that has been made. And because of all the details that I left out because of time, there are so many great subplots, so many things you could, so many uh, avenues you could go down on research, the twists and turns, the plots. For one, I can think of Our Lady of Fatima and John Paul II's belief that she redirected the bullet during his assassination attempt on his life in 1981. There's a whole ton of backstory there about how we even got to 1981 in the first place from Our Lady of Fatima's apparition in 1917 and how World War I figures in there. That story's incredible. So we might have to, we'll just have to cover that one later. Then there's also... We left out St. Maximilian Kolbe, the Polish priest who died in 1941 in the very supreme act of mercy at Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. His story is fascinating. We'll have to cover that later. There's the beautiful chaplet of divine mercy, which is sung. Um, that will bring you to tears. I will put that in the show notes and all the other resources you might be interested in. Um, so in today's Catholic corner, please forgive me for trying to detail the whole divine mercy story, because frankly, I'm just covering and just scratching the surface. Like we said yesterday, God's plans are always so much better than our plans. And God's story is quite better than my retelling of the story, <laughs> but let's face it. His story indeed is the greatest story ever told. And now you know what is arguably the second greatest story ever told. And that's the story now of a time of great mercy and a time before the day of judgment that God had told Sister Faustina and now St. Faustina that he would provide the time. Now it's, it's a bold claim, but I think it's true. To everyone who has heard the full, story, the full story, they just can't believe it. It's so incredible that the just judge, the just God, is providing one last attempt for God's school of trust to reach out to his creatures, to you and to me, for them to trust him in his ocean of mercy. I urge you to listen to the full story with all the details or read it. It can It's so much better told than I can tell it. But as we ended yesterday's part one, we will end today's part two with the same words. We will end with what Jesus told Sister Faustina. 
which she recounted in her diary, page 1578. The graces of my mercy are drawn by means of one vessel only, and that is trust. A more, the more a soul trust, the more it will receive. Jesus, I trust in you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com, where we have everything we discussed in this podcast, as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book, packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually 69 pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes, and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.